Greetings, lovers. So, one of my favorite books of all time is Man's Eternal Quest by Parimahansa Yogananda. And in this episode, um, today I just flipped open. This book is like my Bible, and I love this book so much. And I just flipped open today, and it is about reincarnation, the soul's journey to perfection. And so I thought it was pretty synchronistic to open up to this um, after just talking about Vedic astrology because Vedic astrology, our chart, basically is all the past and shows us what we're working through this lifetime. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy my reading. Talk more soon. Bye. The chapter is Reincarnation, the Soul's Journey to Perfection. This is Yogananda Ji speaking at the Self-Realization Fellowship Temple, Hollywood, California, February 20th, 1944. All right, so re- here, this is Yogananda talking. Reincarnation is the progress of a soul through many lives on the earth plane as through so many grades in a school before it graduates to the immortal perfection of oneness with God. Souls that are living in an imperfect state, unaware of their divine identity with nature or with spirit, do not upon the death of the physical body automatically enter a state of God realization. We are made in the image of God, but by identification with the physical body, we have put on its imperfections and limitations. Until this imperfect human consciousness of mortality is removed, we cannot become gods again. A prince ran away from his palatial home and sought shelter in a slum. As a result of intoxication and of mixing with persons of bad character, He gradually lost sight of his true identity. Not until his father found him and took him home to the palace did he remember that he was actually a prince. Similarly, we are all children of the king of the universe who have run away from our spiritual home. We have kept ourselves locked up in human bodies for so long that we have forgotten our divine heritage. As often as we have come on earth, we have developed new imperfections and new desires. So we come back here again and again until we fulfill all desires, or until through increase of wisdom we banish those desires. We must satisfy our desires, or by cultivating wisdom, do away with them altogether. Very few persons get off the wheel of birth and death by trying to satisfy their desires. However, it is the nature of desire that each time one satisfies it, the craving to repeat the experience simply increases its hold unless one's mind is very strong. It is better to satisfy small or unimportant desires because in that way we can get rid of them. But but it is necessary to do so with wisdom and discrimination. Otherwise, even small desires may come back in a stronger way, reinforced by experience. People who feel a desire to drink, for example, often reason thus, I will have all I want today and tomorrow I will do without. 
After several repeti repetitions of this experience, the usual, re usual result is that they find they have instilled a habit, and then it is difficult to get rid of it. The same thing may happen with other, any other desire. God is not a dictator who has sent us here and is telling us what to do. He has given us free will to do as we please. We hear a great deal about the importance of being good, but if we all go straight to heaven when we die, as some claim, what is the point of trying to do good while we are here? If there is the same reward for everyone at the end of life, why not be a greedy, selfish person since the path of evil is often the easiest one to take? There would be no use in emulating the lives of great saints if when we die we all, the good and the bad alike, become angels. On the other hand, if God has it in his plan for us all to go to Hades, again, there would be no use in worrying about how we behave in this life. And there be in, and would there be any value in watching one's actions if our lives are like automobiles? Once they become old, they are cast on the junk pile, and that is the end of them? If that is all there is to man's life, there is no point in reading the scriptures or in exercising self-control. The importance of time. If, however, there is a lofty purpose in living, how many, how may we explain the seeming injustice in a baby's being born dead? What about those who are born blind or dumb or crippled or who live only a few years and then die? Only the one who lives long has time to struggle against innate wrong tendencies and desires and to try to be good. If there is no other chance in a future life, for the little child who dies at six months, why did God give that child a mind and no time in which to develop the potentialities of that mind? The time element is most important in our progress. One lifespan only may not afford sufficient time. If a child dies early in life, there is a reason for that death. And because he did not have enough time in which to express his potential human or divine, he will be given another opportunity in which to do so. Such a person is like a boy who is sick and cannot go to school. The boy does not leave school forever. As soon as he is well, he goes back to school to start his lessons where he left off. So it is with life. If we don't have a chance to learn our lessons in this life, we shall have opportunities to learn them in some in some other. When you can see behind the scenes, you will realize that life on earth is a puppet show. It seems real to us now, but what we are experiencing at this moment will have a dreamlike unreality to us a few years hence. And what we are experiencing now would have seemed unreal to us five years ago, had it been described to us then. Last Sunday, most of you sat in other seats in the temple and had other thoughts in your mind. Today, we are seeing a different picture show. Reflect on how many people you have known who are now vanished from this earthly stage. The concept of life as a changing, passing show is not, a pessimistic, is not pessimistic. It should teach us not to take life seriously at all. Maya, cosmic delusion, makes us feel that the body is so real, such a necessary part of our being. Yet, in a moment, the body may be taken away from the soul by death, and the separation is not painful at all. When the operation is over, you have no need of time, dress, food, or shelter, for you no longer have to carry this bodily bundle of flesh. You are free of it.
and you are still you. Have you ever sought to reason out why this truth is hidden? Or where may be now the millions of people who have gone away from our earth? Have you ever wondered if we are like so many chickens in a coop? When we are gone from the coop, we are replaced by another flock. Is there no way to find out? How we live this life determines what we are in the next. We have been given the power to reason out where we go and whence we have come, but we don't take enough pains to analyze ourselves and our lives. Otherwise, our common sense would tell us that whatever our character is today, it will continue to be after death, perhaps a little better or a little worse, depending on how much effort we are making to improve ourselves. You go along 365 days a year, year after year, and perhaps you have made some progress, but your nature will be the same after death as it was before death. You will not become an angel just because you die. Only the body changes. Death makes no difference otherwise. Death is like a gate you will pass through. Your body will be gone, but you will be in every, as in every respect the same. If you have a violent temper, you will not leave it behind at death with your physical body. Your violent temper will remain with you until you conquer it. If in your present life you have observed the laws of healthful living, in your next incarnation you will possess a healthy body. The last portion of life is more important than the first because what you are at the end, what you are at the end of this life is what you will be at the beginning of the next. The first part of this life is usually stupidly misspent in a sort of bewildered state. Then romance comes and finally disease and old age. The struggle with the body starts. I have coined a phrase, patchwork living, to describe how one has to keep on patching and repatching the body to keep going. The body is a trouble most of the time. A spark plug is missing or the tires give out. You have headaches or a cold or the stomach goes wrong. There is difficulty with the teeth and so on. Always trouble, trouble. That is why it is so necessary to your happiness that you realize you are not the body with all its aches and pains, but an immortal soul. I don't take life seriously at all. I say, Lord, anytime you want to remove this body from the soul, it is all right. So long as you keep me here, all right. But if I am to be free of the body, that is all right too. It is not necessary to die in order to claim freedom from attachment to the body. If you commune with God, you will see that you are already free. You are not the body. You are eternal spirit. Is there any way to find out what we were in our last incarnation? Most certainly we can detect basic tendencies of thought and capabilities by analyzing what we are now. The Hindu scriptures say that it takes a million years of harmonious, disease-free living for the soul to be liberated. Therefore, comparatively, little change is to be expected in the ordinary man from life to life. But one spiritual evolution may definitely be hastened by determined effort in right living and by the help of a true guru. The sages of India have analyzed mankind as belonging to four basic types. The sudras those capable of offering service to society through bodily labor, the vasyas, those who serve through mentality, skill, agricultural, trade, commerce, business life in general, the kshatriyas, those whose talents are administrative, executive, and protective, 
rulers and warriors, and the Brahmins, those of contemplative nature, spirituality inspired and inspiring. Qualitative, no, qualitatively, sudras are those who see in life no greater purpose than the satisfaction of wants and desires of the body. Such persons eat, sleep, work, multiply, and finally die. Millions today live life in the sudra or laborer state, concerned merely with the comfort and pleasure of the body. The man in the vasya or mentally active state is always busy getting things done. Some people of this class think of nothing else but business. They live only to earn money, which they usually squander on sense enjoyments. But the best Vasya type of businessman is much more involved, evolved and creative in nature. The third or the third or Kshatriya class are those who ha after having had the experience of earning money and of creating something along business lines begin to understand what life is all about. They strive by self-control to win the battle with the senses. The Vasya man doesn't engage himself in such effort for inner improvement. He simply earns money, produces children, and seldom thinks about the meaning of life except in terms of business. But the third, or Kshatriya class, takes life more seriously. Such a man asks himself, should I not struggle with and destroy my bad habits? He feels a desire to overcome evil tendencies to do what is right. And the last and highest state is that of the Brahmin the knower of Brahma, or God. Analyze yourself to see how you should change. To recapitulate the four basic types of consciousness in man, Sudra is the sense-bound state of existence. Vasya is the business or creative stage of man. Kshatriya is the warrior state when man desires to do battle with his senses and to conquer his attachment to them. Brahman is the wisdom state attained by man when he has overcome all attachment to the senses and remains consciously immersed in Brahma, God. Every human being fits into one of these four classifications, and if you analyze yourself, you can find your class. Think over your life from childhood days and try to reason out in which of the four classifications you belong. Reflect on whether you have been living for sense pleasures only catering to the senses and earning money, or perhaps just working without thinking and acting creatively. Analyze yourself and see if you have been creative from your childhood. Some children, for example, think readily along mechanical lines and want to open up and take apart things so that they can put them back together again. Others show the greatest pleasure in drawing or in playing or listening to music. It is not necessary to be an expert or a prima donna in order to consider that one has shown signs of creativity in his life. Even a nonsensical song such as, Yes, We Have No Bananas, is a product of a creative mind. Anything one creates, whether it is expertly done or not, is an expression of creative talent. A flair for writing novels, or for acting, or for wood carving, or for painting, or for music, or for working with machinery, if exhibited early in life, indicates that you were probably in the Vasya state in your past life. Husbands and wives should not ridicule, ridicule each other's 
or their children's creative tendencies. It is a sin against the evolutionary process of God to try to suppress another's creative spirit. Ask yourself if from childhood you have always tried to perform actions in accordance with the guidance of your conscience. Were you constantly watching your actions and trying to correct yourself when you were wrong? Did you have that struggle within from childhood? That reflects the third or Kshatriya state. But if from childhood your thoughts have always been of God, you have entered the fourth of spiritual state of the Brahmin. Recognition of your belonging to one of the less advanced of these four types of mental attitude, attitude should not discourage but encourage you. If upon self-analysis you find that you have not yet attained to the highest state, do not think yourself helplessly unfortunate. The idea is that if you haven't changed yet, it is now time that you should. Otherwise, you will carry your present state into the next life too. When death comes, you want to feel that you have passed that particular grade of life and that you are free to go on to higher grades. Therefore, you should change your life now. Analyze yourself and learn what you were before. Then you can begin to remold your life more ideally. Learn to check your moods. The violent feelings you may experience in the present were all created in the past. If it were not so, why is it that some children are jealous from the beginning, while others in the same family are calm and loving? There are children who would strike you if you were to tell them not to do a thing. Others are quietly obedient. Another child may steal. Why? These traits are simply outcroppings of prenatal tendencies created in former lives. I was once given a little baby to hold. I almost dropped it, for God suddenly revealed to me that the baby had been a cruel murderer in a previous life. But ordinarily, the past is a closely guarded secret. You may discover the true details only if the Lord wishes you to know them. Discern between inner worth and outer position. Once in New York, a woman who was helping with self-realization fellowship office work confided to me that she had met a marvelous man, a psychic, who had told her wonderful things about herself, including the revelation that in a former life she had been Mary, Queen of Scots. I did not believe she had been that queen, and I silently uttered a little prayer that God would banish her delusion. A few days later, a student came to see me and, with great excitement, said, I have just met a famous psychic, the same one the office worker had mentioned, who told me that in a past life I was Mary, Queen of Scots. I asked the office worker to come into the room, and placing the two queens face to face, I asked, which one of you is the real Mary, Queen of Scots? The ladies happily realized their mistake, which was one of undiscriminating credulity and of readiness to confuse true inner worth with conspicuous outer position. The truth is, we love to be flattered. Unscrupulous persons thus may take advantage of us now and then. But who you were in a previous life and whether or not you were important in the eyes of the world is of little consequence. It is best to be born as a divine or Brahmin type regardless of worldly position. All of you have something of that divine type in you, otherwise you would not be here this morning. 
exchange of souls between East and West. Out of millions of people, you have been drawn to this temple because you have had something to do with the Orient and its spiritual teachings before. Now that you are an Occidental, outwardly, other Occidentals may laugh at you for going to what may seem them a heathen church. Those who feel a prejudice against the East did not recently come from there, but those who feel a leaning towards the East were probably born there in a recent past life. By such indications, one can distinguish Oriental and Occidental souls. Did you, from early childhood, enjoy the fragrance of incense and stories and pictures of the East? Such inclinations would show that you had been quite recently in contact with the Orient. Many souls from the East have reincarnated now in America. Desiring material perfection, they have been born here to enjoy the fulfillment of that desire and to help encourage American spiritual ideals. Similarly, many souls that formerly were born in America have since reincarnated in India in order to benefit from her spiritual riches and to help India in the development of the material side of her civilization. I hope that many of you may go there to help India and that many in India will come here to serve in America. This world is God's family. He is trying to improve all nations. He has no preference for one over another. Another test of your past is your preference for certain sensations. Some people like heat all the time. They have become accustomed in other lives to warm climates. Others like cold better, which shows they had been born in cold climates before. If you have always had a special feeling for the mountains or the sea, you may be certain you brought that attachment from another life. There are people who become lonely if they are out of the city and cannot stand quiet places. That attitude too was cultivated in the past. Those who have a driving ambition throughout life were important men before. To have that tendency and not develop it is to suppress oneself. In the proper environment, such a person could become a great man. There are others who remain unsuccessful no matter what they do to get ahead. This indicates that they have carried a failure tendency from the past, but they should not give up the battle to overcome it. Such persons must conquer wrong tendencies now or they will manifest those faults in the next incarnation. George Eastman once told me that in the early years of his Kodak company, he offered stock for 25 cents a share. Still, it wouldn't sell. The family of the girl he wished to marry objected to the match. The adverse circumstances were such that it seemed he would never become a success. Yet after a while, everything opened up for him. Why? Because he had been creative and ambitious before, and he kept on cultivating those tendencies in this life. From childhood, I wished for large buildings and many people about me, and for shady trees and water wherever I might go. And these are what I attract. I also knew from childhood that I would have such things, that when I wished and worked for it, these places would come easily to me. When I talked about it, people sometimes laughed skeptically. Nevertheless, such environments have materialized. At our ranchy school, we have a big pond. Our Dakshinswar headquarters faces the Ganges River. The Ganges River. Our Encinitas Hermitage overlooks the, the Pacific Ocean. 
The School in Ranchi, Jharkhand, India, Harkhand, India, was founded in 1918 on the estate property of the generous-hearted Maharaja of Kazim Bazaar, the India Headquarters of Self-Realization Fellowship, Yagoda Satsanga Society of India, was founded at Dakshanswar, Calcutta in 1939. The hermitage overlooking the Pacific Ocean in Encinitas, California, was a gift to Perdimahansa Yogananda from Rajarsi Janakandanda, James, L. Lin, James J. Lynn, in 1936. Rajar, Rajar, Rajarsi Janakananda, a spiritually exalted disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, succeeded Paramahansa Ji as president of Self-Realization Fellowship, Yogoda Satsanga Society of India in 1952. Publisher's Note. Those who received spiritual initiation from Paramahansa Yogananda in past incarnations. Publisher's Note. So through analysis of your present strong tendencies, you can pretty accurately surmise what kind of life you led before Past associations influence present affinities. You may find that you have a strong affinity to certain foreign languages and that you are able to learn them quickly. Madame Galli Kirchi, for example, amazed me by the ease with which she learned many phrases in Bengali. A love of certain languages is the result of past life associations. You are attracted to German or French or Chinese or Bengali because you have spoken them before. Recently, I met a young American girl who told me, I have never studied any oriental language, but lots of times I hear strange words in my mind. I can say them, but I don't know what they mean. She forthwith said about nine words in Bengali. She had never in this life studied the language, nor had she known anyone who spoke Bengali. Yet she knew these words and pronounced them correctly. In traveling, you begin to like certain scenes more than others. If some place stands out above all the rest in its attraction for you, you have probably been in that vicinity before. So by these various clues, you may discover certain general ideas about your past lives. From this point on, meditation can bring about a deeper knowledge of what you were before. Occasionally, it happens that you go for the first time to a certain place where you seem to recognize certain scenes, but the people whom you once associated with those scenes are gone. And sometimes you meet people you feel you knew before. With me, recognition has always been instant, especially of those who had been disciples before. The following authentic case of remembrance of a past life experience became world famous. A little girl born in a small village in India began inexplicably to pine away for a village in another part of India. Her condition became so serious that a doctor advised that she be taken to the distant village. This was done, and to the abasement of her companions, from the moment she entered the outskirts of the village, she began to describe in detail everything in it. She knew people by their names, although she had never before been to this village, and went directly to a certain home where she called a man by name, saying that he had been her brother in her previous life. Nor did she stop there. She explained that in her past incarnation, she had hidden some gold pieces in a brick wall of the same house 
but that she had died without ever having told anyone about it. The little girl went to the place in the wall, and lo, the gold pieces were there still. She described her clothes and how they had been packed away, and they were found to be exactly as she had said. In the face of such evidence, we are not justified in doubting the geniuses, the genuineness and significance of her experience. There is another case of a saint in India who went to a certain temple on a river bank and said, My temple was near here. It is now in the river. Divers went down and found under the water a very old temple. This man had been in a previous life the saint to whom the now submerged temple had been dedicated. A pure heart, a clear insight. If you keep above the consciousness of sex and make your heart pure so that when you look at others, you will not be conscious of whether they are men or women, you will be able always to recognize at once those souls you have known before. If you have cultivated that impersonal consciousness, you can instantly recognize people you knew before. Suppose you see a six-month-old baby and then do not see it again until many years have gone by and the baby has become a man. You probably do not recognize that baby and the man, yet certain features are the same. You would discover if you had known that baby long enough to fix those features firmly in your mind. So certain features of our past life remain with us. The eyes especially will be like they were before. Eyes hardly change because they are the windows of the soul. Those whose eyes reflect anger or fear or wickedness should try to change, to remove unlovely qualities that hide and hinder the expression of the beauty of the soul. Owing to the change of environment and company, your mind and body change somewhat, but the eyes change little. You are reborn with the same expression in them. You can also tell by your inclinations if you were a man or a woman in your past experience. Many women are mannish and many men want to be like women. Both men and women are equal in importance. Reason and feeling are present in both men and women, but in man, reason pre predominates and in women, feeling predominates. It is easier to influence a man by appealing to his reason than to his feelings. A woman responds more readily to an appeal to her emotions. <clears throat> By God communion, you bring about the harmony or balance of these two qualities within yourself. I never acknowledge myself to be either man or woman. I feel for others with the love of a mother, but no one can dissuade me by an appeal to my emotions if my reason <clears throat> or fatherly nature does not conquer. To achieve a divine balance of reason and feeling should be the purpose of both man and woman. Man usually has to cultivate more feeling and woman has to cultivate more logic. We must perfect love in at least one relationship. There is a deep reason why God does not usually allow us to recall our previous lives. It is because we would be very clannish with those we knew before instead of expanding our love to encompass others. God wants us to give friendship and love to all, but we must perfect it in at least one relationship. When you meet old friends again, you can perfect your love and relationships with them. 
A disciple means one in whom the guru perfects the state of divine friendship. Those who follow the guru's wishes are his disciples. The wishes of a true guru are guided by divine wisdom, and if you tune in with his wishes, you will become free as he himself is free. Above all, you should learn the most you can from this life and strive to pass to the highest grade of spiritual development in the school of life. Commune with God. When you can do that, the deficiencies of all lesser grades of living are forgiven. To free yourself from karma that binds you to the lesser duties of life, develop wisdom and God consciousness. In this sentence, there's a little star and a publisher's note at the bottom. The wishes of a true guru are guided by divine wisdom, and if you tune in with his wishes, you will become free as he himself is free. And the note says, If ye continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.31 and then from the Bhagavad Gita 3 men devotion filled who ceaselessly practice my precepts without fault finding they too become free from all karma men devotion filled who ceaselessly practice my precepts without fault finding they too become free from all karma Bhagavad Gita 3 31.